Welcome to Holy Spontaneity. It's Cameron and Karen, and we're on a journey to find the Lord in the little moments of every day. So join us on an adventure of holy, spontaneous faith in otherwise normal lives. We're so glad you're here. We're here and we are surviving and we are thriving. <laughs> yeah, we are. Especially yeah, we are. so, especially so because we have Maya on the podcast today. Hey Maya. Hey. Thanks for coming on. So Bye. um we're so excited to have you and we would love for you to just kind of introduce yourself um and talk about who you are, what you do, and why you're here. Yeah. Um, well, I'm Maya. I think everyone probably knows that by now. Um, I'm 20. I live in Texas. I got to spend a year living in DC last year. I technically lived in Virginia. Oh, here go mm-hmm. my dog. One second. Um, I, uh, I don't know how loud they are. Someone decided to get home. Okay. So sorry about my dogs in the background. Obviously I have dogs. I live on land. Uh, we have, I live with my family right now uh, as I'm kind of in transition point. Um, but, um, so I'm living at like our little, like on our, in our land in Texas. So we have like four or five horses and, or six, I don't know, but fun fact, we have seven dogs. Um, so I tried to put them all away before we started. So they wouldn't bark, but sadly, we just them. um, so basically, <laughs> yeah, so I, I have, I have eight siblings, so big Catholic family, um, and I've worked in the pro-life movement since I was 14 years old. I just did a lot of volunteer work, which kind of turned during COVID into, like, more, like, social media ministry that I was doing because, like, you know, during COVID, you know, I didn't have my pro-life club where we met up, you know, once a mm-hmm. month so, or we met up once a month for like meetings and would go and do activism um, in our community um, somewhat. But I started that the, the fall semester of 2019, like really started um, like uh, having a club and things. And so obviously with COVID, I was like really like kind of disappointed, like kind of I was like, well, what do you want me to do, Lord? Um, I have no idea because I just started this and it was going great. And then I just have nowhere to go anymore with this. And so he I felt called to just do whatever I could on social media, just like posting and creating a platform where teens could, you know, find community and be a part of a community and just have ideas of what you could do during COVID to spread the, um, the, the pro-life message. And so that's kind of like a little bit about me. So, so yeah, I just have a, uh, like, just as you can tell with siblings and everything, I'm going to take a sip of water real fast. Um, But, but I just have a, Catholic upbringing of just like seeing the beauty and the joy of life. Um, I'm the second oldest of nine. And so I just like, I don't know. I just feel like there was just like, just this love for life and this joy that you have when you have so many siblings. I don't know what it's not, what it's like not to have so many siblings. So I just, there's just so much joy there and so much acceptance and glory and the beauty of life that God gives us. And I always, and I, I always just had that instilled in me and I always wanted to do something about that. And so I started the, that like, like kind of pro-life ministry, which ended up taking off a lot of, like a lot more than I ever expected it to. And, and so that's kind of led into what I do full time um, in the pro-life world and um, kind of what I'm transitioning into next year. Um, And so, yeah, that's just kind of like the basics about me. And then what brings me here today, truly social media, again, Instagram, Um, just like the beauty of getting to know so many, so many Catholics, so many pro-lifers, so many 
just Christians, so many just beautiful people. And and that's what brings me here today. It's it's social media, yes, but ultimately the Holy Spirit who draws us together and brings our paths together um, um, and where he wants us to be. So I don't know, that's kind of a spread out introduction of me, but that's that's who I am. I graduated college in May and so I'm done with schooling. That's just great. So yeah. Oh yeah. That's me. Yes. Oh my gosh. That, that feeling of being done is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. No kidding. I, I'm like kind of like lost because I've worked a full-time job and like done college for like three years. Mm -hmm. And so now like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do with myself? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have deadlines for like school and you know because I'm the leader of like the teen segment and organization I um I kind of like make the deadlines I need to make for like work and so it's just like I have no deadlines I have no classes I feel like I'm not learning anything new like I need to like I need to like do things so I am starting a, a flower garden and yes I'm taking- I saw that. that you're setting up your greenhouse <laughs> Uh, I know I have some flowers growing right next to me so I'm excited I know none of the listeners will be able to see but like there's kind of a little uh, oh yeah you got some little that's so cute starting to bud a little bit I don't know where my hand is so yeah they're starting to bud a little bit so that's exciting a little I love that I would love a flower garden my uh my med store or my med center apartment would not be suitable for that (laughs) yeah not. <laughs> gonna have to wait but that's okay so yeah that's awesome I also worked for the pro-life ministry while I was in college um I worked for 40 days for life because they're headquartered in college station and I went to AM. um so I worked there for I think almost two years and um that was really great I started out like in their store um, so I got to work with like Sean Carney. He signs all of his books. So a lot of my job was like when he would come in, I'd set up book signings for him. Um, so it was a really fantastic way to get involved and get to know more about the movement itself and like all the grassroots efforts that are going on. And then also just the importance of like the why behind creating the movement you know why why isn't it enough to just be pro-life why are there so many movements that have to come along with it so um that was really eye-opening for me and I'm sure really eye-opening for you like getting into that yeah yeah for sure for sure um yeah, I guess we'll get into that. What I was going to like add to that, but I was like, you know, I don't want to like get into what we'll talk about later. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's just such a point of being and is protecting life around you and being a Catholic or a Christian, you know, just like um, if you're Bible believing, you know, just being pro-life and also doing something about it, um, which, um, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know how like diverse or what your your audience is when it comes to religion, but you know, it's just like, you know, it's like the whole concept of like how faith without works is dead, right? You know, you can yeah. you can be a Christian, but if you don't do what the Bible says, like do you know, like what what your belief quote unquote in God is and it's uh, it, you know, it, your belief is dead if you don't if you don't if you don't follow the Ten Commandments and you know, do as 
God is telling us to do. And I think the same thing applies for the pro-life movement, you know, and, it, and it's in the Ten Commandments, right? You know, and thou shalt not kill. And I think it's just like, it's not just like, oh, well, I'm not killing. It's also like, I'm pro-life. And because I'm pro-life, I speak out that I'm pro-life, that I say that I'm pro-life, just like if I am Christian, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, then to follow along with that, just like, and just like, if I knew my friend was going to kill their two-year-old baby, right? Like I, as a Christian, like would have a duty to do something about that, you know? But if I knew and did nothing, I am, I'm part of that, you know, I'm part of that happening. If I had the capability to do something and did nothing. And I think the same is applicable for pro-life work, you know? So food for thought for sure because we have a moral obligation to protect the dignity of human beings who have eternal souls um and i think sometimes that people some people choose to forget that um all humans have eternal souls and that they are created uniquely from the moment of conception so um yeah, that is, it's a huge moral obligation that we have to make sure that we are doing um, not just our part in being pro-life, but also our part in telling other people, this is why, and this is the reality of what it is. And it's important that you understand it as well. So Karen, yeah. what are your thoughts? You know, I, and right there with y'all, I think I was trying to find it for some reason. I can't remember the specific name, but I mean, there's even Instagram accounts where um, they show very visually what happens in an abortion and what aborted babies look like. And yeah, it's, it's atrocious, but like, that's what we need to see in order to fully understand what happens when, you know, that procedure happens. And you know, it's just like you said, Cameron, I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think we um, really understand the depth of what happens um, when, you know, I can't remember the Instagram account, but I know there there's one that I like to follow and they're just, they're just really very not afraid to share what happens. And usually when I post something, I'll post it on my story because it's like, yeah, th- this is, this is the sin. This is, this is what happens. Um, when we, you know, women swallow that abortion pill or when you go in and it's just, it just, it's heartbreaking when you see, um, state by state that's like, oh, they allow abortions up to 40 weeks. They allow abortions up to 32, 33 weeks. And it's like, when, when are we going to understand that abortion in all cases is just wrong? So, um, yeah, no, yeah. I'm right there. I'm right there with y'all. Uh, yeah. For some are reason, I'm about, just I'm blanking. Are you talking about live action, Karen? Yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I tried looking. I tried being subtle and looking at it. We all are talking. I just couldn't remember. But yes, yeah. live action, guys. If you have Instagram, when you just sort of social media, I think they're on Facebook too. But just live action, they're really, really, really solid. Um, it's they're very graphic, so be forewarned. Um, but it's. I've always found that when I follow them, when they post something, it's like, it makes me cry, but then it's like, it forces me to pray. So mm. forces me to call me higher yeah. as a, as a Christian and a Catholic. Yeah. 
it's interesting because I don't remember the first time I was ever introduced to what abortion was. Um, and I, I, and it's funny to me, like, I, I feel like that's something that I would have known about, you know, earlier or younger, but in reality, I'm thinking about it and I don't know when I was truly introduced to like what it was, um, Mm -hmm. or like the, you know, the pro-life movements in general at all. Um, so I'm not really sure how I got into it, but Maya, how are you first introduced to that? How did you get involved? What's this, what's your testimony? What's your story there? Yeah, I don't really know like you because I grew up in just a, such a Catholic family. I don't really know when I was first like introduced to it, but I know the time that it really like set in for me was when my little sister was born a preemie. So she was born at like 28 or 30 weeks, something around that. So she was like the size of my hand when she was Mm -hmm. and perfectly alive, perfectly capable of breathing, of, you know, crying of, of, um, of just functioning as a baby, as a child, as a life, as a complete and fully formed human life. And, um, and I just remember thinking like, I was definitely pro-life, but I definitely, I was 12 at the time, but I was like, maybe uh, how old was I? I don't remember. I was, I was like older and uh, like younger, sorry, younger. And that was like eight or nine years ago now. Um, no. So it was eight years ago. So yeah, I was like 12. And, um, and I just remember like, I can't believe that like people would, could, would kill a baby. Age. So that kind of got me into it, but I know what I wanted to do about it. And that's when I kind of started that pro-life club and everything. Well, no, sorry, not, no, wait. I started doing pro-life work, like, not even pro-life work. I wasn't old enough to drive. So I started, like, going to, like, some praying, like, extra, like, the rosary at our church or anything for life. Like, just little tiny things like that. Nothing big at all. Uh, Because I didn't have my license. My mom had many other children, obviously. So I wasn't, like, top priority to bring me to thousands of pro-life events because we are already living like a pro-life life that we needed to live, you know? Yeah. But, um, but, uh, yeah. So when I was 14, I heard the testimony of Terry Beatley on the story of Bernard Nathanson, who was America's abortion King. And I remember thinking I did not, I had no intention of being at this talk. I had no intention like of of like I had no reason to be at that talk basically and I just showed up and I was like oh this is interesting I showed up like 15 20 minutes late and I ended up like after like the hour and a half long talk I was so convicted as a 14 year old by the message of mercy and of of this man so if none of you know, y'all might not know, um, but you know, for any listeners who might not know, Bernard Nathanson is America's abortion king, who is the found co-founder of NARAL Pro Choice America, who in the 1960s and 70, 70s were the people who made Roe v. Wade, who were the actively legislating for abortion throughout the nation, who first brought it to New York and then all these different things and ultimately led to the to the Roe v. Wade in 1973. Um, so this guy was like America's abortion king. Um, that's his title. And um and he personally resided over or perform or was a part of seven seventy thousand abortions. Um, he was a so he was just the mastermind behind 
what we are living today. Um, but what a lot of people don't know about him was the same year Roe v. Wade was um, put into law in 1973, he also became pro-life because real-time ultrasound came out that year. And he saw um, a child that he was hurting. And after seeing the child through real-time ultrasound, him and the lady who, who was getting the abortion both stopped the abortion. And um, and he said in, in, in his parting letter to, uh, well, yeah, in his parting, well, no, he said basically like I could see her wiggling, sucking her thumb and her heart, which once only could be heard, could be seen beating. And, and that, and that, and that was when he decided to become pro-life. And, but what's beautiful about his story though, is like, think about that real fast. You become pro-life, you're an atheist, and you have to reconcile the fact that you killed the most people in history, because you have also set, you have set the path for abortion to continue forever. And, um, and he had to live with that. And so, and so, he he decided like that he was going to commit suicide because there was nowhere for him to go with this remorse with this pain that he felt at causing all of these murders and um and it was right before he was considering committing suicide he ran into a catholic priest called father C. john mcclowski and father helped nathanson build a healing relationship with god and Nathanson said that as soon as he went to confession, he never felt a um a any thought of suicide ever again. And then it was in um it was in nineteen I it was December eighth, nineteen eighty nine. I think he was brought into the Catholic Church at St. Patrick's Cathedral in um New York and in New York City and um. And, and it was just beautiful that to me as a 14 year old teenager who I didn't know what she wanted to do with the pro-life movement, but knew that she wanted to be in the pro-life movement to hear that story from start to finish, because when you're in the pro-life movement, it's grueling. And when you, but when you realize that it's all about mercy, it's redeeming and it's refreshing. And when you realize that probably the worst person uh, in our generation, like what we would consider the worst person had what we would say a modern Saul turned Paul story, right? And I just thought to myself, if he can have a conversion, so can anybody else, even those women that we think are hopeless in their journey. And so as a 14 year old, I marched right up to that lady who, um, who gave that speech. And I said, you know, I was a speech and debater at the time. And I was just like, I was like, I said, I'm going to take this and I'm going to this, I got to take this story, I'm going to make it into the speech and I'm going to bring it to nationals. And I did, I did do that. And I got 11th in the nation with that speech. And I got to share that story with so many people. And, um, but I knew after that, so it's like 15, 16, after I'd given the speech, I knew from just all the people who were just so touched by me giving that speech, I knew I needed to do more about that. So I called that lady who gave the speech and I was like, I want to be like a part of your organization. I want to help out. And so, you know, that was kind of where like my pro-life like journey really began was, um, was to heal America, right? It, and with, you know, so I, I have a teen section of, um, 
of their organization, Hosea Initiative. Um, and our, our, our motto is to bring healing truth to a world broken by abortion. And so a huge part of that is telling the testimony of Bernard Nathanson. Um, that is a central point of it. And, um, and my, uh, I guess you could say boss, but the lady I work with, the lady that gave that speech actually got to have a, um, a interview with Bernard Nathanson right before he passed away in 2011. She had an interview with him at the very end of 2009. So he had been diagnosed with terminal, um, terminal cancer. I don't know what kind of cancer it was. Um, but, and so he was pretty, he was really frail at the time. And so she had this interview with him and he sent her, left her with this parting message. And so this was, you know, this was before she given that speech that I had heard it, obviously it was 2009. It was like a little wee babe at the time. And, um, and um, he told her to continue teaching the strategies of I received America, but also deliver the special message. Tell America that the co-founder of NARAL says to love one another. Abortion is not love. Stop the killing. The world is not love. And I'm all about love now. And I think that's just fundamental to our work in the pro-life movement is that it is all about love. And that is ultimately and at the end of the day, what brought Nathanson to the pro-life movement completely because I don't believe he was 100% pro-life when he walked out of that abortion clinic in 1973 and and realized what he had done wrong with abortion because I believe being pro-life is way more than that being pro-life is seeing the dignity and value in all life and he didn't see the dignity and value in his own life and was going to take his life and let death the narrative of death win right and he didn't and I believe that it is when he became Catholic that it is when he opened himself up to the mercy of God is when he became 100% pro-life and realized that he had value and he had dignity and he had worth. And um, and that's what it means to be pro-life. And, and that is the message that Jose Initiative brings to the nation um, is that is that, you know, it's about being 100% pro-life. It's about understanding the value um, of life from, you know, from day one. It's, you know, the value of my own life. And um, and I think that's, that's fundamental to our pro-life work. It's kind of a long-winded story of what I do and why I do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really beautiful. Um, yeah. I hadn't heard his story before. Um, Me either. And it's, you know, it's funny to me how similar um, those who leave, you know, the abortionist movement, those who are who are pro-abortion and then move away from that. It's really fascinating to me how similar their stories are. The thing that kickstarts them is generally centered around witnessing that child in its mother's womb in an ultrasound realizing that this is a child a human child um that they are killing and then there is a change of heart um and i do i so much agree with what you said and i mentioned that because that's abby johnson's story as well you know yeah i was just about to bring her up Mm -hmm. assisting with an abortion and then seeing the child move away in pain away you know away from um the instruments they were using and i really love that you brought up that these people often struggle with the idea of love and dignity of their own self 
because I feel like that's a lot of what women are missing when they when they decide that they want to choose abortion. Um, when they go in with this abortion mindset of, I can't do this, I don't want this, um, you know, I, I, this child would not be loved or I can't support this child, et cetera. I think it, it goes back a lot of that, like, well, whoever told you that you were not worth it, that you couldn't do it, mm-hmm. who told you that you didn't have inherent dignity because that's what you're saying is that I don't have the strength I don't have the ability um to be strong I don't know how to love I haven't been loved and nobody's ever told me that I have that dignity because if I knew that I had that dignity then I would be able to see that a this is a child and b I am more than capable of making a choice for life, whether that's adoption or or keeping and raising this child, you know, because it is a choice once you realize that you have dignity and you start looking at things um, with more love. Everything shifts, yeah. you know, so right. exactly. I really do love that you brought that point up, um, that these people are struggling with their own with their own love of self um right and exactly yeah because you know when you have women who who believe that they can't take care of this child that's a lack of confidence and a lack of dignity on themselves and then when you have women who truly seem very selfish and like they don't care they just slept with someone they got pregnant they want to get rid of a baby they don't want one um that's a lack of love on their part so it really does come from you know they they don't they also have a, a lack of of their own dignity, of their own worth, because they only see themselves as an object. Um, yeah. So yeah, ways, it goes back to dignity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just like um, to kind of further that point, I um, I think it's fascinating. While I do think, I do think that for people who have hearts that are not as hard um and that is not meant in a bad way like people's hearts are just hardened not because of them but because of their circumstances but people i do think abortion imagery or whatever or like you know someone seeing an abortion can definitely help some people i would also say that it doesn't help most women who are in the situation of choosing abortion it, it so it does help some like you know like blue buses on that definitely helps yes but it but it doesn't help a lot of like let's say like teenage girls like it's good like they can see that but it's not going to 100 percent change their mind as it did with nathan saying it as it did and so and that and that's why i want i want to talk to what we do in that circumstance where mm-hmm. things like that don't because it doesn't always work and we have to be prepared for it not to always work um and so um and so uh and, and so we have to um just look to what is the heart saying, right? What is the heart message of every person, of every woman out there? Because if we don't do that, we, we aren't, we aren't bringing them the beauty of life, which is the only thing that will bring them to our side truly, fully, and like, you know, completely. And and I I think it's fascinating for people to know that 64% of women who have an abortion know, actively know that they are ending a human life. 
Mm-hmm. So we have to ask ourselves if they know that. Let's say they've seen a video like that. Let's say that they know that they're ending a human life, but they think that this is the best they can do in the circumstances they are in. We have to ask them what pushed them into that corner, right? What pushed them so so badly into a corner what they believe to go against every instinct in their body every biological part of them every mental part of them every part of them that was created to be a mother and think to themselves that is what I need to do to survive right is that what I need to do because I'm proud of it whereas you'll see that that's what a lot of feminists want to make the pro-life movement to be the you know the pro-abortion right that's not true for a lot of the women who walk in there shameful and walk out crying is that's mm-hmm. not that's not, and, and, and and the fact is that they were pushed into a corner and they you know and they chose what they could you know the best that they could and I that's something I will stand by to the end of my days is that I do believe from the drug addict to the king the king of a country to the president of the United States whoever and everyone might be like oh my gosh but I believe everyone's doing their best with what they've been given in life and how they've been loved in life. And so that's why I think, you know, for anyone, I know where this is like what we're going to talk about too. So I'll just kind of like talk about if you're going to be a part of the pro-life movement, which every Catholic and every Christian should be right. Um, every person should be, you know, but you should be active in the pro-life movement and needs to start from the inside out. It never starts from the outside in. And, and people will see that and people will experience that through you. And I think that's the first part of what it means to be pro-life is to know who God is to you and who you are to God. That's the most fundamental point, I think, of being pro-life is if you don't know how God sees you, if you don't know that God sees you as a dignified, beautiful human being, then you need to find that out first because then you can see, as Mother Teresa and every prominent figure that may be in your life and whoever is listening to this whoever you love to be around the most maybe that's your grandma maybe that's your mom maybe that's your best friend I guarantee you it's because they look at you they see you the way God sees you the way they see you through God's eyes through a way of I'm not using you I'm just here to love you right obviously not to the capacity that God could And I always encourage, you know, especially Catholics, if you're Catholic, if you're, you know, um, just Protestant or whatever you are, you know, you might have your own way to do this. But when you go to adoration, it's not about it is about you like sitting there and seeing Jesus, but it's more about you seeing Jesus see you. Right. Um, And and seeing yourself as Jesus sees you, seeing that you are loved, that he created you to be his and that he created you for the for an abundance of life. And 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 that's where every action and anything we do in the pro-life movement needs to come through first is what is where is my heart? You know, for girls, I really like, you know, like, is my heart close to Jesus? Yes. But is my heart close to Mary? Is my heart the heart that a feminine, me as a feminine woman would encounter anybody, anybody can encounter anybody on the streets to in my home, right? To my siblings, to my parents, to your children, whoever it is, it's to, you know, like Karen, you teach like to your, to the kids in your classroom, to the parents in your classroom, to the principal at your school. It's, you know. 
do I have a heart so connected to Mary's that no matter the circumstance that the person around me puts me in, I choose compassion first. I choose to see as they see, to see them through God's eyes. And, and that's the fundamental first part of being in the pro-life movement. And, and, and that was something for me, that's really been a journey for me to recognize in the last, you know, year, few months, honestly, is a lot of, you know, I love being in the pro-life movement and I love all the passion that, ha you know, goes with it. But being in the pro-life movement is not easy. It's grueling. And it's, it is easy to have burnout. If you don't have, if you don't have a foundation of, I am, I am worthy of, I, I am worthy of love. I am worthy of taking care of myself. I am worthy of God's love. And then what, what do we do? We then we have that gaze that we bring to the world and we and we have such a greater impact on the world. And um, but we also have a greater impact on ourselves and getting ourselves to heaven. And so um, and so that's just, you know, um, that's the first way I think to get involved in the pro-life movement is that first and I know that sounds like oh you're not doing anything but let me tell you 30 45 minutes spent actively with God a day and th that will grow fruit that will bring you to be a part of the pro-life movement in so many different ways right and um because if we cannot honestly say that the women that we encounter outside the clinic or the people we're talking to about abortion or the people that encounter our things about abortion online, if we cannot honestly say that they would turn to us in a moment of need, even if, even if they change their mind 30 years of our conversation or because of so many things that have gone out in their lives, like, you know, if we cannot honestly say that when we walk away from a conversation with somebody, if we can't say, you know, in 30 years, if they become pro-life, they would come to me or they would, you know, realize that I was loving them. Then I don't think we're having a hundred, you know, like that we're having a, th an a thousand percent pro-life conversation. And that's kind of my hot take is, and, and that's, you know, what Sean Carney, um, you know, Cameron, you worked for him in, um, in, in college, you know, Sean Carney, that's what he was for Abby Johnson. He was a constant presence, you know, different from the other people that were outside of that Planned Parenthood. Abby Johnson was, oops, sorry, different from the other people, you know, uh, that, you know, there, Sean Carney would pray and he would love and he would look with uh, look at the women and, and at Abby Johnson with compassion, mercy, love, and seeing them as beautiful as God created them to be. And, um, and, and so who did Abby turn to? Abby turned to Sean. He, she didn't turn to the people who yelled at her or, you know, did crazy acts of, uh, did crazy things, right? Which I think there can be a time and a place for more active things. But, mm -hmm. and I think most of the time, of those really active things and to be men I don't think women have a place to do that um, most of the time. And I know that's a huge hot take, so hopefully <laughs> some people might hear this. But, um, but I think that's just fundamental to our work in the pro-life movement. I think you'll desire and want to be a part of the pro-life movement or do something in it when you have a foundational relationship with God. And, and I'm not here to tell you, I'm going to, I, I'm going to shame you or force you to do something pro-life because you're Catholic and you're Christian. But I'm going to, you know, I'm just here to say 
go pray, go, go, go be with Christ. And, and then, you know, and let the fruit lead from that, let him lead you and let him instill a desire in you, um, to do so, you know, and, um, and it looks different for every single person. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was just going off of what Cameron was saying about that. Yeah. That, that covers a lot of like what I really wanted to dive into, which is it's important that we be vocal, mm-hmm. but also what I really want to stress is, is our actions. You know, I, I think there's a lot of things that um, people who claim to be pro-choice can, can say. And I think, hmm, how do I phrase this? I, I think to a certain extent, um, and you know, not this is not a a, a generalization. They they generalize it, but yeah, there are some people who claim to be pro life and truly do only care that the baby's born. And I don't ever want someone to be able to say that about people who call themselves pro life. We need to recognize again the dignity of someone from conception until their natural death we need to be able to say i'm not just here to make sure that the mother has the baby i'm here to make sure that the mother feels supported that the mother feels loved what you were saying about what pushed them into that corner that made them feel like they needed to make that decision i don't want anyone to ever feel like they need to make that decision or that's the decision that you know they want to make Or even have that on the table to begin with. Right. And I think that getting down to it, like compassion and love truly are the only answers to how do we start making a difference? Because there are so many things that are just there, so many ugly things that are just interwoven. And the only way we're going to be able to, to fight that is by using that love and like clipping them one at a time those little threads that have just kind of woven themselves Mm -hmm. into where we're at now so I really appreciate you saying that um it's important that we understand that again we need to practice what we preach like you can say that you're pro-life but um do you love other do you take the opportunities to love other people um and it doesn't even have to be you know related to abortion at what point are you not loving someone because who knows that person may have really needed that love that day um so just being compassionate um can really really make a difference you know, even with just a homeless person on the on the sidewalk, ju- even if you don't have anything to offer to them, you know, a smile is worth more because they are recognized as a human being who is there. Um, and I think it's really important because I I do think that there's a lot that is said that is kind of thrown in our faces um, mm-hmm. that we need to be able to back up and say, actually, I care about the mother actually I care about how she's doing how she's feeling if she feels like she's able to take care of this child I care about the fact that she's living on the street right now um 
I care about the fact that she's yeah, and I think a relationship. So, yeah, and I think just also to kind of go with that and to challenge our listeners and to challenge all of us, including myself, mm-hmm. is also. And I know this sounds terrible, but not being afraid to lose an argument. And I know that sounds silly or whatever, but not being able to look at them and say, I love you and walk away because, and and I know that sounds crazy, but people, what do we do? What do people do? They're ashamed. They're ashamed of something they did, of a hurt in their past, and they're looking for an outlet, and they're looking for someone to scream at them and tell them that they were, that to confirm to them that they were, you know, in their eyes, nothing, that they were, you know, to, you know, and, and, I, you know, so for instance, I wasn't sure if I was going to share the story, but like, you know, I was outside the Supreme Court during all the Roe v. Wade overturning all those things and I had this woman and her friend who would scream at me and scream at me and blow whistles in my ear and all these things and this woman looked at me and kept saying call me an effing murderer and I just said no I love you God loves you and there's so much forgiveness on you know over here and after about five to ten minutes of her screaming this in my face incessantly with her friend blowing a whistle in my ear I just I just looked at her and I said, I love you. And, and her only response back to me was, well, Jesus doesn't love you. And what I could hear her saying was, Jesus doesn't love me enough to, you know, where I am, like, like to, to be where I am right now. She, she's like, call me a murderer. I killed three of my baby. I aborted three of my babies. And I just looked at her and I said, I love you. And here's the thing. I could have called her murderer because by pro-life standards, we would say in essence that she was technically right a murderer but at the end of the day i'm not fighting her at the end of the day i'm fighting the devil i'm fighting the devil and his twisted ways i'm fighting the devil who convinced her mm-hmm. that that was the best thing she could do in that circumstance and she walked away crying mm. and she walked away 10 after 10 minutes crying and I can tell you, like, just from the look in her eyes, just from me smiling and saying, I love you, as she was in, like, our noses were touching. Like, she would be like, you know, comment, you know, and and I just had to say, I love you. And that's all it took, because logically, it might be losing an argument, but actually, you're winning their hearts back. And, and, and so... I know even Cam, you know, Cameron, it shouldn't be that people are like, oh, you don't take care of the mother. What they should see is that we take care of the mother. Mm-hmm. We don't have to have a debate with them about what we do because they should see it. They should see pros across the nation. Right. You know, you know, and it's great to be able to say, yeah, we do these things and these things and these things. And, you know, Planned Parenthood doesn't have diapers and all. And, and that's true. They don't. And that's true. Logically, it's true. But you know what's going to make a greater impact on them is not the argument we have with them. It's the turning around. Like, okay, so there's this, uh, this is a funny story. There is this old 60-year-old black lady outside of a, outside of the um, Planned Parenthood in D.C. And I was sidewalk counseling that morning. And she kept walking back and forth saying, you guys are the worst. Ah, la, la, la. Like yelling. She's like, you know, you guys wouldn't take care of my, you know, like you guys wouldn't help me with my grandkids and my, you know, my daughter has so many 
kids outside of there's no one to provide for her and I stopped her and I said who's not taking care Uh, and I said like what do you need and in that moment she was like this is what I it was right before Christmas she needed Christmas she wanted Christmas gift for her kid for her grandkids she wanted to be able to give them food and in that moment like me and the people there were able to get like a hundred dollar gift card and send it to her and give it to her right and that that made her quiet and she would just sit there in shock that like that and she she cried and she gave me her phone number and and it was beautiful and we were able to provide her resources and a home to go and like in a pregnancy center a, um a um like a, a just a, basically a pro-life home to go to for anything they needed and um and, and she walked away like just like in awe like you know because she was like, well, I would never abort any of my babies, but, you know, I think my daughter should. And and you could just tell she was shocked, you know, that we weren't just protesters that we're going to have an argument. with. I was I, I, I didn't want to have an argument with her. I actually gave her a hug when she walked away. And and I never I just touched her on the shoulder and I said, ma'am, how can I help you? And how can I help you? And, and, and we had this conversation and I helped her find resources and. And I could have said things we can do, and that's great. Like, here's what we can do, and here's what we can do. But instead, it's like, no, I'm going to help you right here, right now, right? And I think that's just a really part of being pro-life, knowing where the resources are around you. If you don't know where your local pregnancy center is, if you don't know where to send people when someone's in a crisis, then, you know, that's the first thing you should do. You should have those numbers in your phone. You should have the abortion pill reversal number in your phone, Um, you know, and um, because it's like, am I equipped? Am I equipped to actually help people and, um, and love them when I'm in that circumstance with them? Because it's easy because our hearts are conditioned to first turn to anger. Our hearts are conditioned to first turn to frustration. When our hearts should be conditioned to say, what would Mary do? Mm-hmm. What would the heart of Mar- Mother Mary do right now? She wouldn't shame them. She wouldn't yell at them. She wouldn't even try to prove herself right. And I, I was struck by this image um, recently. It was this image of Mary in perfect contrition during Jesus's death. It was, it is a sight of Mary not screaming at Pilate, you're wrong. And here's all the reasons why it wasn't Mary. You know, Mary didn't try to prove herself right. She didn't, you know, she, she, she got her veil. She got, and she wiped up the blood of Jesus. And that I was, I was listening to father Chad Ripper about exorcism. And he said that he was like, you know, and was telling him something about how, Lucifer and he said what scared Lucifer from the very beginning of time it was it, it was Mary because because he would never be able to be as beautiful as Mary and why and why because of her perfect contrition of her perfect submission at the foot of the cross at her perfect fiat at her perfect yes and and that's just what I think as, you know, pro-lifers, it's like, am I in tune with the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, it's just like, it's just like the name of the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, will I spontaneously be able to bring the Holy Spirit 
to this person in front of me when they encounter me, even if I don't think I'm ready? Will the Holy Spirit be able to speak through me? And if the and the, the answer should be yes, but I would even say for me, half the time the answer is no, right? Because I'm not in a place of mind half more than half the time where I I would want to take a moment and be in the present moment, and and that's and and that you know, Cameron, I know you were just in Europe too. Um, and that is something that you'll see there's a stark difference between Europe and the United States is we're busy, 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 go, go, go. And you'll especially yeah. see more like Latino, Latino community is just like, so I was in Spain, um, in Portugal for Real Ute recently. And you see, you know, they take a siesta, they take time because they take time and they also take time for people. Mm-hmm. They take time to look in the eye. They take time to smile at you. They take time to hug you. They take time to make food that nourishes you they take time and that's what we're not used to is we we don't take time to provide food for people and provide nutritious food for people or we don't have time to do that for ourselves and if we don't take time for ourselves in that way why are we going to stop why are we going to stop for that person on the street that looks like they need help? Why are we going to smile at that woman in the grocery store who might decide she's not going to commit suicide or she's not going to abort her child because Madeline felt worthy of, of, of love. She felt beautiful. And when you feel beautiful, what do you feel? You feel confident. You feel confident in who you are and the decisions you make. And I just think that's just a fundamental part of being pro-life being Catholic, you know? So, yeah. 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 Yes. You have just been so on point with everything. I am just so thankful that the Holy Spirit took control of this conversation. Things oh, yeah. That <laughs> I, I didn't realize until this conversation that there's so many similarities between my full-time job right now and all of what you're saying um specifically the beginning of this conversation where you know you so beautifully talked about the it's it's mostly internal first it's not mostly it is internal first and then it proceeds outward it's always about the heart um and i can't express that enough especially when you're teaching five-year-olds and six-year-olds and just perfect example today um you know, you, you just said, uh, Maya, about, um, you know, how there's such a catastrophic difference between Europe and uh, America and how we, you know, specifically feed each other. And it just goes back to we got to take better care of ourselves because when we take care of ourselves and then, you know, bring it back to just good solid food and sleep and water and vitamins and probiotics and all the stuff that's just America has sugarized. Right. And it's just getting solid sleep, for example. Um, and just earlier today had one of my littles, I just, I have 13. And another thing I wanted to say was, you know, just about the plain existence of abortion. I, I can't imagine my class without each and every one. I I was going to have 12. And then the second day of school, I had a new one. And like, he just has his own personality and just, they all add up to make Miss Gallagher's class. And we're already, 
a class family in Turingham. Um, <laughs> I just can't imagine my class without any, any single one. And just all day today, one of my littles was having just a really, really hard time. And just unfortunately, some of my littles don't have mom and dad. Now, praise God that they are turning five and they're turning six. So they weren't aborted when they were babies, but they don't live with mom and dad. They live with grandma and grandpa. They live with, you know, aunt and uncles. They live, they don't live with mom and dad and just, they need that solid foundation. Um, and I think going back to the sense of identity in women, um, gosh, I think a lot of things, if not a lot of things and all things go back to the family life. How did mom and dad treat you? How did mom and dad, did you have mom and dad? Um, did you see mom and dad argue? Did you see mom and dad um, ask for forgiveness and apologize to each other after they argued? If you saw them argue, then you can see them apologize. I'm a big firm believer in that. Um, did you see, did you receive mom and dad's hugs and kisses and just any sort of love? Did you, did you receive that at home? Because what you receive at home yeah. is going to be a big contributor as to how you're going to go throughout the rest of your life and the rest of your relationships and all the things. But back to my little, she's just having a really hard time today. And it was one of those days where it was just every little thing was just getting to her and just bawling her eyes out. And just it, the more natural response was, you know, to yell um for disrespecting me uh miss gallagher i don't want to do this miss gallagher i don't like you miss gallagher i don't want to be here miss gallagher i want to go home oh i got everything um but i knew from enough of uh teaching experience and just my work with kids there's always something deeper it's never about the you know um first layer of i don't like you or i'm just not happy i'm not getting my way there's always something deeper and so the more natural response is to yell at her back or to, okay, well, I don't care what you don't want. Sorry, we're doing this right now. No, there's something deeper going on. And sure enough, mm -hmm. in her one of like, I think it was like her third, <laughs> her third time just crying her eyes out this morning. Um, she just, I got down to her level. I was like, what's going on? What happened? Why are you crying? And there she was, I'm just so, so tired. And she, I stayed, I stayed up late on my grandma's tablet. And it's just, okay, so you didn't get enough rest last night. So you're cranky. So you found yourself getting, so there's always something deeper. And so earlier this afternoon, I have in my classroom something called a safe place. Now, not every classroom um, has one, but I learned this in the other school that I student taught at. And I highly recommend it. Um, just a safe place where um, you teach your little breathing techniques and you um, you explain the expectations and the rituals and the routines and the rules of just, okay, when you're angry or when you feel these really, really big feelings, um, you go to the safe place to calm down and to um, just take a couple deep breaths and then come back to the class. Um, and so I led her to the safe place and just another one of my littles, uh, she came over and I was doing my own thing with her and I was talking her through things and she just the other little she just looked at um the one having these hissy fits and just bawling her eyes out and she just she's also five and she put her hand on her shoulder and she just went I'm not gonna say her name but 
um, let's just say Sarah, Sarah, it's okay. Whatever you're going through, and we're going to help you. <laughs> just like you want to talk about tears. I mean, I'm 22 years old and I've got five year olds who are teaching me so much. And we've been talking not about compassion and dignity and worth and identity. And just especially when you're working with five to six year olds, like they're sponges. They're they're working on becoming people, citizens of the society. But you have to be very, very aware that they're sponges and the things that they say, the things that they do, they are learning that from their main circle of their influence. Yeah. So whoever's taking care of them, their guardians, whoever that may be, and then their teachers. And so just, oh my gosh, it was the most incredible thing for me to just, it, yeah. it was super aggravating morning. And I mean, it was a better afternoon. And then we did the kinder version of like a star test. It was, it it's atrocious. It don't even get me started. Long story short, just for her to be in that safe place. And another little came by and they just, we all just hugged on her and it was, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Whatever you're yeah. feeling, it's okay. Miss mm -hmm. Gallagher says that we're all a family and it's okay to feel that way. That's what Miss Gallagher says. It's okay to feel that way. And you can tell yeah. us what's wrong because we'll help you. <laughs> just, <laughs> it all goes oh back my. to the heart. It all goes back to compassion and, it goes and love. Back it goes back to how the heart was formed and it goes yes. back to, and I just wanted to bring that up to, you know, a lot of people, their upbringing depends on their parents and that's a hundred percent true and it mm -hmm. should. But what I see so often because of broken homes and because of the amount that children are in school, you also see that a lot of people. So even including my cousins who lived with my grandparents as well, their role models in life are their teachers, their favorite mm -hmm. people that, when you ask them who is the most impactful person in their life, oftentimes it's like their elementary school teacher. It's because, mm -hmm. you you know, they're like sponges. Yes. And they're like people who soak it in from age five, from age six, from age one, from age two. And, and, and that's a beautiful and but fundamental part to understanding the pro-life movement and being in the pro-life movement. It's not about just high schoolers. It's not about college age students. It's not about the 30-year-olds or 40 it's about the five-year-olds. It's about how we take time and we treat. And I like how you said you got down on her level, right? Because you could talk from up here, but you could also talk eye to eye. You could also talk and say, hey, I'm here to understand and have compassion because your eyes speak more than any words speak. Your eyes and um, someone can tell 100 things about you in 20 seconds just because of your body language and of and of how your eyes move and how your eyes encounter them and i think that's just so beautiful and 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 that's when you can tell the difference between like let's say a good church and a bad church is how the people react to children crying in church and mm -hmm. and, and um and i remember we lost or Let's just, you know, like, I, I actually don't know this for fact, but I know of a story from somebody who, who said they were brought donors to a church to ask them to, you know, because it was a big, vibrant community, a more traditional community. And there's lots of children and young families there. And they brought up these two older men who had more money, obviously, because they're older and, um, and to bring them to mass there for them to see that. And they said they would not donate because of the children all the children that were making noise and crying during mass and i just remember stop 
what a wrench to the heart, what a wrench to how our hearts are formed. But just to go back to your classroom a little bit, you know, you know, how generations say like teachers are the role models, parents, keep that in mind. You know, if you're bringing up, you know, people, you know, make time for your children, even if they're in full-time school, right? You know, show up for them because when you show up for them, or let's say, even if you're a teacher or whatever your job is, you know, whether you're in the medical field, wherever you're at, you know, showing up for someone, smiling at them, being there for them, your actions, yes, speak louder than words, since we talked about from the very beginning, but being there. They know that you're always going to be there. They know that you're always going to show up. And so they know that you'll show up for them with mercy, compassion, and love if they ever found themselves in a circumstance of, of in one, you know, of where most people would choose abortion. I do want to say one thing, too, that I think is just a, a point as to the importance of this is that. You know, less than 100 years ago, your classroom size would have been over 17 because one third of our generation is gone. Right. So, yes, there's 13. But for, you know, you're missing one third of your classroom technically. Right. And I think that's a powerful, mm -hmm. you know, point, you know, forget all the technicalities of how many are allowed in. But just like, you know, one third of our generation is gone for abortion. Um, that's a that's a huge number right and um but i just want to like i don't you know i just kind of these are the last things i really want to say is sometimes we're too afraid to listen because we're and and that can be detrimental to the pro-life movement if we have truth in our side and we 100 percent believe that we don't need to be proving ourselves right through our words constantly because like you said karen there are layers and if we don't listen we don't hear the heart, right? If we are too focused on on not saying um or not saying like or making sure our argument is perfectly perfectly right, we we've lost we we have lost the whole point of the conversation, which is for us to listen to hear that it can be heard, and then address the heart. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes addressing the heart is just saying, I don't know how to respond to that or what you want me to say. But I just want you to know that I love you. And that if that's all you can say is I love you, then so be it, right? Um, because no matter what conversation you're in, you were made for such a time as that. That conversation right there. You know, it's such a time as this, right? Because we are called to be present. We are called to be in the moment. And abortion did not just pop up out of nowhere in our generation. Someone doesn't just become pro-abortion suddenly because they decide in the morning. They become for abortion we got abortion because of the hardening of our heart because of because we're afraid to open up because we have lost trust and like you know in like america we've lost trust to entrust ourselves to to another person to entrust our heart so we put armor up around it hardening our heart is not necessarily like we do it because we're like we're just evil no we do it because we're protecting our heart because it's been broken so many times by people who didn't show up like by parents who don't show up by people who didn't take the time to love them the people who didn't take the time to give them a hug and so you put up walls and our job by listening and hearing the heart is like slowly but surely pulling down those layers of armor and letting them pour your heart out to you and i just challenge you to think how did abortion become so prominent and acceptable in our nation 
It's because of shame. It's because of the hardening of hearts. And it doesn't start with abortion. It starts with seeing ourselves, as Cameron said at the very beginning, as objects. It's by, it starts by seeing, as someone seeing my body as, as someone in a way insinuating that my body's broken, whether that's when you're 12 or 13 and someone says, oh, you should just get on the birth control pill because your Mm. body is broken. Instead of finding, uh, instead of finding the way to show, no, your body is not inherently broken, but there are outside forces that are coming in and imbalancing your hormones, even though it's just for period cramps. And the, the no, let's look at the way that we can that we can work with your cycle and work with the way that God created your body so beautifully, and then let's bring that together and your and show you that your body is not an object that man-made things are meant to shut down, but rather for us to work with and to take the time, right? Because we are taught, you know, you know, the girls are taught that my period, my cramps, by whatever it is, the cramps aren't normal, nor- cramps are not normal, but so many women suffer with it. But what are women told? They're told that they, that their cycle is a, um, what's the word? Their cycle is an inconvenience. So pop some pills, pop some ibuprofen, pop some, you know, birth control without actually looking deeper, you know? And, and so you, and so you get these women from, you know, who might have something else before that age who look at their body and they see it as something that can be used and shut down and never get to see the beauty of who God created them to be as women. And, and, um, and so that's what abortion came from. Abortion came from the sexual revolution or as some, you know, as rather like to call it the pornographic revolution. Um, it'd be great, you know, technically if people saw sex for what it was and we had an actual sexual revolution where people saw the beauty of human life, but we had a pornographic revolution. What does that mean? A revolution that taught everyone to look at your body as an object, as an object worthy that I can that I can be like, I can look at my body and see it as an object and use it as such. And I can do the same for another body, which inherently brings us to what abortion, which says that I can use another person's body for my own pleasure, even to the point of killing another person's body. And that's how a woman gets pushed into a corner. And that's why it's so important that we stop and we listen. Um, and so that's just kind of what I have to say on this topic. You know, there's so much more to say, but you know, your listeners probably don't want to hear me rambling on continuously, but I just think, yeah, it was all brought together so beautifully. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's not rambling because it's, no, it was all needed. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, Yes. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for coming on here, for sharing the truth about <laughs> what it means to be pro-life, what it means to show people their dignity, their worth, to tell them, I love you. Um, to let them know that they are inherently good and um, that their lives don't have to be twisted by lies and by the hardening of hearts um, and by their brokenness. So I, I really appreciate you coming on, Maya. Thank you so much. Yes, thank, thank you. you for having worked out. Yes. Thank so, you. Um, we have just a couple more questions for you. We always ask our guests this. Um, so we want to know what your holy spontaneity moment of the week is. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, it's Monday. <laughs> so do I count the last seven okay. days? Or- yeah. Past week is fine. Yes. Um, oh goodness. Um. I would just say just, um, you know, I think, well, there was a song that kind of just came on on Spotify. I don't even know how. And I was kind of having a hard afternoon a couple days ago. And this song came on 
and it was just a, someone telling their story and maybe you all have heard the song but it just made me like ball because at the beginning of the song she talks about how her dad was abusive and how um it made her like search for anything and she turned mm -hmm. to drinking and all these things and in the course of the song was is there a god out if there's a god out there hear me and help me and just like kind of those things and then she talks about how like you know one night she was drinking she had sex and then she was pregnant and then she's like nine months later god brought me uh, well i had a son and and then she continues singing like help me to be a good mother etc and then at the end of the song it's about how she was passing away like she was like 90 and she's talking to her son and she says and i thought it was just beautiful she said to her son there is instead of is there she said there is a god out there and he hears you and and it was just so like beautiful for like you know just like a, not a great afternoon you know just not one of the days and just being like from is there to i this was terrible this was like a terrible circumstance but through the life that i was able to carry through my room you showed me that there is a god out there and i want you to know that he hears you and she said that like on her deathbed it was just so beautiful to me because it's just the fundamentals i think of of, of who we are as christians and it's you know what um you know what jesus says blessed are those who do not see but believe right and i think that it's beautiful as christians that often we're not blessed with the visions we're not blessed with all these crazy things that you know to confirm that you know like all these things but we are here by faith and we want you know one of my favorite songs is open the eyes in my heart lord and to me that was always so i can like so i can like you know so i see you and i you know like i can you know like you know as a child like i can see visions and all these things you know i think you know so i could really like just see you you know and i just realized that no just open my heart open the eyes of my heart to be able to yes see you through every person i encounter but also recognize that that faith is everything and still believe and that's just i would i was just like wow able to see the beauty of god through her son and and like this was just like a split second thought after the song played and i was like bawling is i was like yeah like you know we may never see god like you know like in like a way like elijah did or like wanted to or etc or moses but like that we, you know, we see him in the people we encounter and we see him in the goodness that he brings every day. And then at the end of the day, just like that there is a God out there and he hears you and we have to have faith in that no matter how terrible our circumstances may be. And I just, I was just, I think that was my moment, you know, because I, yeah, I just, I was like, just like, kind of in a weird spot, you know, just like spiritually, I, you know, I go to adoration pretty much every day. And I was just like, God, how do I grow close, grow closer to you? And he was just like, faith, let me grow your faith. Right. And that you don't need some miracle or big thing to happen. So anyway, yeah. Mm. Oh my gosh. My goodness. <laughs> Love that. Also, yes. you guys have inspired me and I, I live really close to like a perpetual adoration shop um chapel and i will be going there after we're done here so <laughs> yeah it's i haven't been in a while so and i've i've heard that you know when the word adoration pops up a couple times during the day and you're like oh yeah that's an invitation so yeah i'll send you yeah. a song we're done yeah. i 
do that. I hate it, but I bring earbuds to adoration and I just press shuffle play on my Jesus playlist. And the first three songs are what Jesus speaks to me, you know, in my head. That's just like what he's Ooh. speaking to me in time, right? There's like, I always hmm. pick out like a word or a verse in the song that he's saying to me. So, um, so I, you know, so yeah. 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 I journal. Um, yeah, I journal a lot of adoration. I actually need a new journal, so I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get one of uh, one of Whitney's journals from mm-hmm. a bunch of yours because they are so beautiful, and um, you can get them as a bundle. But I'm gonna get one of those. So she just launched them today, Monday. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you should share your. Co- Don't you have a code? I do have a code. code. Yeah, so my code is Cameron in all caps. So you get ten percent off of your journal y'all have all caps so cool in case you need help with spelling because i know some people spell cam with a k or whatever so it's e-a-m-e-r-o-n that's right the boy way of spelling it so okay karen what's your holy spontaneity moment no i was wanting you to go next um oh do you want me to go next do you want to end I would love to end. Okay, then I will go next. So <laughs> uh, my holy spontaneity moment is kind of mixed into something <laughs> like everybody's nightmare, but it but it ends well. So um last weekend, the I don't know what day it was, but last weekend, um, I had a couple of my friends come in and we spent the weekend as like a girls' weekend away at my uncle's ranch um in central texas so literally middle of nowhere um off the grid it was fantastic so one of my friends flew in from um her air force base and then one of my friends drove they're both military um and then one of them drove in from where she's stationed on the border and um it was just a whole slew of things, right? So when I picked up Lorraine from the airport after her flight was delayed like three times. So she didn't get in until later, like two and a half hours later than we were expecting. Um, And then the airport told us that they actually left her luggage uh, in the, the city she started in and it never made it on the plane. So this 30 week pregnant lady had none of her stuff um so we made an impromptu trip to walmart on the way out to the ranch it was like 9 30 p.m we finally picked up some canes uh at this point we're not going to get into the ranch until midnight um and we were just laughing about the whole thing because what can you do you know um you can't get I angry her, but y'all did not get angry i i told her that um <laughs> this has got to be, this is going to be one of the most like healing and just such a good weekend. If the devil's trying this hard to like keep us from getting there, you know? Um, and so we get there (laughs) and it doesn't end. Um, we get there around midnight. We talk to, uh, my uncle and cousin who were, who were there, they're staying at the main house on the property. Um, and we are staying at the bunkhouse. And so we meet up with Mary Beth, Lorraine and I do. We head over to the bunkhouse. We're talking for a little bit. Lorraine gets up, goes to the bathroom, comes back. About half an hour later, Mary Beth goes to the bathroom and she goes, Cameron. And I was like, what? And she goes, there's a snake in the toilet. And I said, what? And she goes, there's a snake 
in the toilet. And so I go in there to look because obviously, you know, I'm like, well, the biggest question is, is this thing venomous or not? So I go in there and it's not venomous. It's just this big Western rat snake, you know, just literally just chilling in the toilet um, at two in the two o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> so we are trying to figure out what we're going to do about this. Um, Lorraine's like on the phone with her husband. Like, I don't like she's she's like, I don't what do we do? What do we do? And he's like, well, get a shovel. Like, we can't break the toilet trying to like get the snake, you know, shovel the snake out of the toilet. Um so I I call my uncle and he and my cousin come over and they have like a million things to try to catch this snake um, and toss him outside because he's a really good snake to have. So we're not trying to kill him. Um, and he ends up being like five feet long. <laughs> this rat snake does he just chilling in, <laughs> in the toilet. Um, and they finally my uncle finally he gets like a garden hoe and he like twirls the snake up like it's a piece of spaghetti and I don't know how to say other than like hockey pucks this thing out the front door like flings it out the front door (laughs) um so it started off like Friday was rough Friday was rough um and then Saturday was an entire day that we just spent talking and healing and growing from one another um and that is my holy spontaneity moment that um, besides the snake in the toilet, if you have some friends that you trust with everything and that really pour into you um, and have a strong faith life, you should be getting together with them. You should be strengthening your friendship, strengthening your relationship in this way even if it means you're talking all day and driving around the property in 105 degree plus heat and um you know surrounded by grasshoppers like this is a very important um for you to invest in your friendships like this um and then on on sunday we found like a little uh a local parish about half an hour away that we were able to go to um and then we again spent like the rest of the day just being joyful in each other's presence. Um, so that is my holy spontaneity moment. Besides the snake in the toilet and the lost luggage and the, you know, um delayed flights and all of that ridiculousness. Um, it truly was a weekend full of just joyful friendships and um really relishing in them. So that's my uh <laughs> that's my moment so all right karen that is what an adventure um i know you never already talked about it but i just as you're really telling the story i got this image of um your uncle like eating the snake out um with the garden hoe and i just oh, yeah. like it's interesting it obviously i don't think it was satan himself as the snake but like wouldn't no. that have been so interesting? Like how you started off the conversation by saying, you know, the devil is trying super hard with all these things happening. And then in the form of a snake, like that was just the icing on the cake on Friday, right? And then like, yes. like eat the cake, uh, eat the cake. It truly was a capstone. Snake. The snake, but, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, it's it's the I'm that, rhyming cake and snake. LOL. It's the, ta- it's the text <laughs> that Lorraine sent. <laughs> so 
um my uncle's name is david so she said <laughs> bro uncle david yoinked and subsequently needed <laughs> that spaghetti noodle off a literal hoe out of the house welcome to the country welcome to the country um yeah so th- that's my psa to everyone if you have a septic tank um just just look before you go before you go but then like you know eat the snake out and then you had the whole healing weekend so like exactly and it's exactly. very spiritual That's yeah really cool. i hadn't thought about it that way karen but you're right so thanks well thank you both for sharing um my holy spontaneity moment uh which is really funny because maya it very the whole topic of faith and confidence and surrender and just all the things um i she's she and i are really she and I are good friends. Like we're not the best of friends, but like she's one of those girls that you talk to and it's like, why haven't we been better friends before? You know, and now we're like going on to adult life and now we're going on to, she's going to be a culture project missionary. And so it's like all these different schedules and all the things. And so um, she had a seven hour drive. Um, and so she was like, hey, um, what do you say about having a call? And we talked for about two hours and it was the most Holy Spirit led refreshing conversation that I have had in a while and you know Maya you were talking about um so much good so many good things about um how it's so important to show love and compassion um especially during our hard moments and so um definitely have had a few hard moments um here these past couple months and Cameron and I had talked about that in another podcast episode um but just it was the way that she talked it was the way that she just spoke with so much genuine faith and confidence and trust in our Lord um, who loves her so very much and who loves us all so very much. Um, but it was the confidence and the joy and the peace that she felt because um, she was showing me her story about how she felt called to be a culture project missionary. And I, you know, I, I asked her and it's like, how, how did you know that this is where the Lord wanted you? She shared with me the story and just, she and I are the same person in the sense that when we pray, it's like, we're just, we're just so blunt with Jesus. And it's like, Jesus, like, please make it so obvious for me because your girl is kind of dumb. <laughs> so we need, <laughs> please make it so obvious, you know, whatever we're praying for. And she just unintentionally, she invited me to be more bold in my prayer. Um, and so Saturday night, I just felt super inspired and I got out of my porch and I just was super bold with Jesus. And I just talked out loud to him and I, prayed and just poured out and it's like lord if you've got some things in mind for me like just make it super known make it obvious and i came back inside and i went on instagram and on this one instagram story this couple sentences that just struck me and it kind of goes back to your song maya where um it goes back to the lord hears us we have a god who does hear us um and this quote said If God wants you to have it, the blessing will forever have your name on it. That's why it's not important to overthink or question the way things unfold in your life. There is a certain timing and purpose attached to each, every circumstance that you face in life. When you start to build that faith, you gain a confidence towards your life's natural course and direction. You feel humble knowing you truly realize that you're always in the process of becoming and that God is always in your corner, no matter the weather. And that was basically, I cannot express enough, like verbatim, 
the prayers that I had just prayed on my porch. Like not exactly in those, those words, but I remember saying something on the lines of Lord, I know that life is hard already and that life will continue to get harder. But I just remember saying like, just Lord, you and I will be okay. Because one of the things that my friend had said in our conversation on Saturday was, Lord, I don't want money. I don't want status. I don't want anything if you're not there. I just want you. And just the way that she said it, I was like, I was just so inspired. And, you know, it led me on to my own personal prayer later on that night. And it was like, Lord, you will be there. Whatever happens in my life, whatever vocation you're calling me to, you will be there no matter how hard it gets. And just, man, I walked just seeing that. And it was like, how, how coincidental. And the thing is like coincidences don't exist in a world where God is in control of everything when, you know, actually he is. So anyway, that was just my very spontaneous, <laughs> uh, just moment of this past weekend. And just, we got to give credit to our Holy spirit because he's just, he's amazing. Yeah. Also mm-hmm. beautiful. Thanks. All right. Well, Maya, thanks so much for coming on again. Yes, um, thank please you. let people know where they can find you. Oh yeah. Um, my Instagram is just Maya Janae. Um, so it's M Y A H J E A N N E. So that's my Instagram and that's just the best place to find me. So, yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. And I'll put that in the show notes so you guys can easily find her. Um, Thank you guys so much for being here. Please share um, this podcast if it touched your heart with someone who needs to hear it. Um, Sharing the podcast is the greatest and best way to get this in front of other people so that they can hear it. Uh, Do us a favor, leave us a rate and review because that also gets this podcast out there more so that people can be blessed by the Holy Spirit and by the beautiful vessels that our guests are. So thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to Holy Spontaneity. Go ahead and give us a rate and review and download your favorite episode for easy listening on the go. Hey, might as well follow us on Instagram too. At Holy spontaneity. See y'all next time.